Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon on what Jesus said about following him. It will play in just a moment, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that is coming up at our church. On March 2nd, we will have our Ash Wednesday service, and I would love for you to be a part of it. If you're unfamiliar with Ash Wednesday, there is just a couple of things you need to know. First, it is the day that Lent begins. Lent is the 46 days before Easter where Christians have traditionally focused on preparing their hearts for the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Second, our Ash Wednesday service offers people a chance to make decisions about what they will give up, what they will pray for, and what they will give in observance of Lent. All this will be done through scripture reading, song, prayer, and personal reflection. I think it's worth your time to be a part of the service. Again, it will be on March 2nd at 7 p.m. I'd love for you to join us in person. You can find all the information you need at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. If you can't be with us in person, I'd love for you to participate online. Again, all the information you'll need is at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. We are beginning a new series of sermons. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, and now we come to a, a transition in the life of Jesus where Jesus turns his attention to his disciples. And what I love about this is that he basically gives a great answer to the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus according to Jesus? Now, obviously, it's not going to be like a comprehensive, you know, over five weeks, four weeks. You're not going to find out everything about following Jesus. But this is, I would say, the largest section of Scripture where Jesus really lays it down in a straightforward way what it looks like to be his disciple or to be his follower. And, you know, the rest of the New Testament, you know, by extension is a part of that. You could point to the Sermon on the Mount. But here, Jesus like looks at the guys he's hung out with for three years, his friends, his closest followers. And and he's like, here's what you need to know before before I leave this earth, before I leave you on this earth. Now, I want to I want to just remind you who are here, or tell you who haven't been a part of our movement through the book of John so far. John is not a book that's written chronologically, it's written thematically. But with that said, John chapters 1 through 12 kind of thematically describes all of Jesus' earthly ministry for about 3 years. And now what happens in John 13 through 19, it happens over about 24 hours. So we've covered three years of Jesus' life or so in the course of the last several months. And now over the next four, five, six weeks, we are going to cover about 24 hours of what Jesus says to his disciples. What we will look at in this series is basically the Thursday what Jesus says on the Thursday before the Friday where he will be killed, the day that we call Good Friday. And then Jesus' prayer at the end, the last sermon I'll do in the series, kind of takes place like after midnight, so it bleeds into Friday a little bit. But most of what happens here, most of what we'll look at happens during the event that we call the Last Supper, like the last 
meal that Jesus has with his followers. And I think it is so instructive if you're a person who wants to know what it's like to live for Jesus, to follow Jesus according to Jesus, then there's not a lot of better places that you could turn your attention. There may be no better place for you to turn your attention in the Bible than to John 13 through 17. And here's, here's how John 13, 1 through 3 starts. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, notice this, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. The Passover is a really key idea in the book of John and there's always statements like this it seems like as you read through John it was almost time for the Jewish Passover or at the Passover festival or six days before the Passover and this points back to this holiday this Jewish holiday that the Israelites celebrated where Jesus or not Jesus where God had brought the Israelites out of captivity from the Egyptian people out of captivity uh, at the, under the power of Egypt. And the night that that happened, the final night where God did that, he said, hey, you need to put the blood of a lamb over your doorpost and anybody who has that blood, I will pass over their house and, and not take their firstborn son. And before he even does that, he says to the Jewish people, I want you to practice this holiday forever moving forward so that you can remember how I set you free. The power that I, that I demonstrated in order to set you free. And I don't want to harp further on it than just that, other than to say, just as lambs were sacrificed to preserve life and offer freedom for the Israelites, so too Jesus came to sacrifice so that we might, we might have eternal life and freedom from our sins. And so John, once again here, as he moves through, he wants you to see the connection between Jesus and the Passover lambs. And again, just as those Passover lambs were sacrificed so that these people might be free and have life, so too Jesus is going to be sacrificed so that we might be free and we might have life. Now we read again that the hour has come or we read that the hour has come and, and here there's this amazing thing that is said. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Now I think that's just beautiful. No explanation needed. Like that is a really beautiful idea that these people whom we saw in the book of John at the very beginning, you know, not that long ago, if you're just reading straight through, these people had, had chosen to just commit to him, to follow him when they knew very little about him. And Jesus is completely faithful to them, even as it says here, to the end of his life. And that might point to a couple of things. It might point to the fact that Jesus loved them to the end and that he was willing to go all the way to the cross for them and for all who would choose to be his followers. In John 15, 13, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. It says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so Jesus demonstrates his love for his people and to the end by being willing to go 
to the cross so that people might be set free and might have life. But more specifically, this probably and honestly begins our sermon series for us. It's probably the perfect introduction to what we're going to look at over the next several weeks and that Jesus demonstrates his love to these men and women who chose to be his followers in that at the very end of his life, when he's facing the worst moments that can be imagined or even can't be imagined, Jesus turns his attention to investing in them. He spent three years investing in these people as they walked alongside him. And now at the end, when he is facing, you know, the, the idea of torture and suffering and death, he, he still is investing in them and helping them know what it's going to look like to live for him. In John 12, 27, where he, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason that I came to this hour. And so, so think about this. I, for me, I, I just would draw your attention to this. Like, have you ever been really stressed out, and then somebody needs encouragement from you? It's really hard to do that, right? Like, you're thinking, if you only knew what I was dealing with, like somebody, I mean, have you ever been in this situation where like, I don't know, you think you're about to lose your job and never be able to pay your bills and somebody comes up to you and is like, man, I had a rough day. My, my coffee was not hot enough at Starbucks. And, and like somewhere inside of you, you just want to hate that person, at least for a minute, right? Like, are you serious? Like, do you even know like what I'm dealing with, they might not, but do you know what I'm dealing with? What I have to go do at work this afternoon, whatever it might be. And, and, and now think of Jesus here. He knows what he's going to suffer. He knows that he's going to pay the penalty of sins. He knows that he's going to be arrested, beaten, tortured, mocked, crucified, killed, buried. He's going to literally pay the punishment of hell. He knows all that's coming just within hours really. And he loves these people so deeply that he turns his attention to helping them and to preparing them for life after he's gone. I would just want to begin this series of sermons by saying to all of us, if we don't really believe in, if we don't really trust that Jesus loves us deeply, then it is going to be hard to put into practice everything that follows. As the author of John, you know, begins this section, he reminds us of Jesus' love. And, and I think so too often, too often, we want to look at the rules and the regulations and the advice of how to live for Jesus and, and we can just forget that all of that needs to be driven by an understanding of how much he loves us. And so I submit to you that everything we're going to look at here as we talk today about following his example in love, like it's, it's going to be almost impossible to, to do the things that he's calling you to do, to live out what he's asking you to live out. If you don't start with, I know that Jesus loves me and he loves me more than anybody else ever has. He loves me with a supernatural love. So with that in mind, listen to verses four and five. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer 
clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is, this is beautiful, right? I mean, here's Jesus. He's facing certain death, torture, everything I've already described. And he's having his last meal with these followers of his. And he fills up this bowl with water and he puts the towel around himself. And he, he gets down, right? To like, he gets down on his knees to, to wash these people's feet. Now, I would, I would have you consider, if you have been around or, or not, I would have you consider everything that we've seen in the book of John so far. Because, because none of it points to him getting down on the ground to wash wash anybody's feet, right? Like the book of John begins by telling us that Jesus is the word. In other words, Jesus is, is equal to God. He is God in human form. And then we did this series called First Impressions, if you remember that, where we talked about Jesus healing and impressing religious leaders, Right, so his healing is impressing like the big wigs of society. And then we talked about his signs and speeches and how they produce spite. But like these signs are incredible. He's doing miracles and, and he's saying these things that are so profound that, that people are like, what is happening? Like he teaches in ways that we can't even understand. And the very next thing we see is Jesus getting down on his hands and knees and washing people's feet. This is like the most incredible picture of humility and love and grace. Uh, this happens on, on the day that we call Maundy Thursday and, um, and, and traditionally in the church. And this is the day where the Last Supper has traditionally been celebrated and then feet washing. And, and, and I think you know, as a modern Protestant Christian that, that maybe we haven't made enough of a big deal of the God of the universe getting down with a towel around his waist and washing the disgusting feet of a first century person who walks around in sandals all day, right? Have you ever looked at a disgusting foot before? It's disgusting. Like there's no way around it. Have you ever seen a bad foot? It's disgusting. And, and here is Jesus, the God of the universe, washing those feet. I've, I've washed a person or two's feet. Uh, I used to take our youth group at this church uh, to an event called Night Strike in uh, downtown Portland. It was a very cool ministry that, that fed and clothed uh, homeless people primarily and uh, gave haircuts. And one of the things they did was, was foot washing and uh, really is an act of love based on this story right now. And I'll tell you, you know how I hate, I hate it'll happen today after the Super Bowl, when an athlete does something incredible and they say, Oh, I'm just humbled. And you're like, you're not humbled. You've heard me say this in sermons before. You've been right. You're not humbled. Like this, this, you are more arrogant now because you just won the Super Bowl. You're clearly not humbled. Like you know how awesome you are because of this moment. But I'll tell you the, the truth is washing somebody's feet is one, is one of the most humbling things I've ever done. 
like, it's, it's gross, especially when you're dealing with people who don't shower very often, right? It's, it's gross. Uh, it's a little awkward, uh, to be honest with you. Like, uh, like, what do you say when you're washing somebody's feet and, and they're, they're impressed by your willingness, but like, also, like, you must be weird. Why are you doing this? Why are you willing to do this? It's one of the most humiliating acts of service that I've ever done. It really is humbling in every sense of the word to do it. And I, I look at this story and I think Jesus did that. He did that. And if you, if you, just, if you don't even know why, we'll get to the why in a second, but if you don't even know why, you have to look at this man who, who healed the blind, who, who made the lame walk, who raised people from the dead, who walked on water. And you have to think, this man must be incredibly loving and humble to wash these people's feet. Now, if you think, well, it's just this had to be normal in first century Israel or something. Listen, listen how Peter responds in verses 6 through 11. He came to Simon Peter. It's Peter's turn. Peter's one of his disciples, and he comes to Peter, and, and, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Uh, Peter responds in the most Peterish kind of way, if you've ever read through the Gospels. I think it's a very appropriate way. He looks at this man who is chosen to follow, that he is recognized as the Messiah, the Son of God. He looks at him and he's like, there is no way that you who has come to set things right for all humanity is going to wash my feet. No chance, no way, no how. I serve you, you don't serve me. I love that about Peter because I think we're, we're so opposite of that sometimes. As we approach following Jesus, we act like Jesus should just do whatever we want. And if we have to do anything for him, then he owes us one. At least I can be that way. I don't know about you. Like Jesus should just be on my, you know, plan and doing what I want. And whenever it doesn't go exactly how I think, I'm kind of bothered by what Jesus would want. And, and here, the opposite attitude of Peter, right? Like there's no way you're serving me because I serve you. I know who you are. I serve you. But then when Jesus is like, well, unless I do this, you have no part with me, then Peter's like, dunk me. You know, like, I, if that's what it takes to be connected to you, Jesus, then you can, you can wash my whole body. Like, I'll, I want it to be, and I love that too, I want as much of you, Jesus, as I can have. I wish we would be more like that too. And then Jesus says, you know, in the midst of this beautiful story, this thing that it's like, what is he talking about? Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And there's, there's some debate among scholars about what this means. This is a difficult passage uh, or a difficult line by Jesus. Like, what does it mean? And uh, so pragmatically, I learned as I studied this that, that 
in order to celebrate Passover, uh, these followers of Jesus, they may have taken baths and then you would walk uh, from the bath to the meal so that you were ceremonially clean. And so then, you know, it's pragmatically, like the only thing that gets dirty on your way there is your feet. But like, that can't be Jesus' meaning here, right? Like that's, uh, it seems far more spiritual than that. And so some people, um, quite a few people, they, they point to this idea that, that while uh, these disciples will be saved by what he does on the cross, the feet washing, the feet washing represents how even when we become Christians, we still are connected to the world and we make ourselves dirty through our own sin. And so as a disciple, we will continue to have the need for Jesus to cleanse us of the things that we do wrong which doesn't seem to fit the context at all to me. As I read that and I saw more than one person say, I was like, how does that, it just doesn't fit. Like I don't understand like how that would have gotten in there or how the disciples would have, would have understood that or anything like that. And so, so here's, here's what Albert Barnes says. But one thing remains, since Jesus cleanses us by his passion, by what he does on the cross, uh, when we come to this rite, having washed, there remains no need of washing except to wash the feet. So there is now nothing remaining but for me, listen to this, to show you an example that you will always remember, and that shall complete my public instructions to you. Uh, I think that Albert Barnes is right, that what Jesus is saying here is you don't need to be cleansed. You need for me to do this because it's an example for you to follow. You don't need to be cleansed because Jesus knows what he's about to do. He's about to die for people's sins. That's what's going to cleanse people of their sin. No, this needs to be done, and we'll see this in a second. This needs to be done because Jesus is setting an example for his disciples to follow. He is showing them what it looks like to be his follower. It looks like humble service even when people don't deserve it and, and listen this I, I, this is what jesus himself says in john 13 12 through 17 when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i have done for you ask them i would have been like nah i don't i don't have a clue yet jesus but listen he tells them you call me teacher and lord and rightly so for that is what i am now that i your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Before we get to the main point here, I mean, notice that they call him teacher and Lord. Two words that I think are really important for us is as disciples of Jesus. Jesus should be our primary source of truth. That's what it means for him to be our teacher. And he should be the one that we obey. He should be our primary source of truth and the one that we obey. He should guide our beliefs and he should govern our behavior. He should guide our beliefs and he should govern our behavior. But the main point is in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying, you want to know why I'm doing this? 
You want to know why I got down on my hands and knees and washed your dirty, disgusting feet? It's because I wanted to set an example for how you should treat one another when I'm gone. Now, as there often is, there's debate about this, right? And the debate is really simple, and you could guess this debate. It's about whether this is literal or figurative. When Jesus says that you should do this too, is it literal or figurative? I think in uh, most modern theological traditions that Americans are used to, I know that was a lot of prefacing what I'm going to say next. I think for most people in this room, we've grown up believing and thinking that this is a, a figurative idea. In Catholicism, this is really interesting. It, it has been in, until 2015, I just learned this, I don't know if you care, uh, but it's, until 2015 it was connected to ordination because, because only ordained priests would do foot washing and so it was like a rite of ordination that you could wash other people's feet and so there's also that debate around this whether uh, it's a thing for clergy to do kind of following in the way of the early disciples or or it's something for all Christians to do. There's debate about the frequency of it, uh, like whether it should be done on Maundy Thursday, the day before, the Thursday before we celebrate Easter, or is this just something that should be, you know, like a part of church, like when we do communion, or, or all of those different things. And by the way, if you just want to be interested in this with me, I want to do some more research on, on some of the traditions around that because, you know, we're a weekly communion church and the primary reason for that is it seems that it was a part of church weekly or, you know, very consistently in the early church, biblically speaking. Uh, and there's nothing like that about foot washing being a part of early church and, you know, how often or whatever. But I am really interested in how, you know, some of the earliest churches outside of the Bible did it. But here's, here's where I, man, I, I hate, I hate when these incredible stories, and this happens too frequently in the Bible, these incredible stories that teach something very easy to understand get, get dumped on by debate about how and when and why, and we forget about the incredible point that it was meant to teach in the first place. And here, the point is so, even if you take it as something that needs to be literally done, like we should be washing each other's feet, even then, there is a greater point that we all agree on, and that is this, as Jesus humbled himself in the physical and sacrificial service of his disciples, we too should humble, humble ourselves in the physical and sacrificial service of his disciples, each other if we're Christians. Just as Jesus physically and sacrificially served his disciples through washing their feet, so too we who are his followers should sacrificially and physically serve one another. Part of being a follower of Jesus is being willing to serve other Christians in this passage. I would say there's extensions in other places to outside of the church, but Christians, other Christians in a humble and sacrificial way. What it comes down to is if you're going to follow Jesus, then you have to remember you're not greater than Jesus. That's what he says. And man, I think I think we miss that sometimes. 
It's like, I think somewhere deep inside of us who follow Jesus, there is this thing that's like, well, yeah, Jesus did it, but I would never. Like, well, Jesus did it, but it's too disgusting for me. Well, Jesus did it, but I can't, you know, I have, I'm too busy. I have other, better, more important things to do. And, and Jesus takes this moment, you know, almost at the very end of his life to wash his disciples' feet in order to say to them, I have humbly served you. You are not greater than me. And so as my follower, you should humbly serve others. And, and I think about, I thought about this moment. Like, what, is it, what does that look like for us? Like, what, is, what you know, I mean, in a more practical sense, like, what does that look like? And several things came to mind. Like, we should serve each other when we don't gain anything from it. That's hard sometimes. Like, it's a lot easier to, to serve people who might, you know, do something for you later. Like, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And if somebody can't, then, then sometimes we're like, we act like we're greater than our master. We're greater than our Lord. We're greater than our teacher. I'm not going to serve you if I don't get anything from it. This one, this next one, I, I think I do okay personally. It's serving when I don't gain anything. But the next one is like serve when it's really messy, <laughs> a little bit uncomfortable. I don't do as well with this one. This one's harder for me. Like I want it to be clean and easy. I, so I hate helping people move. Uh, you know, like I don't want, I don't, I, I just like, you know, when, when, when it seems like a, I'm just going to say it out loud. Uh, like when it seems like, the person that I'm serving is going to get weirdly needy and start calling me every three days to try to get me to do something else. That's when I sometimes am like, I, don't, I would never say this, but like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm more important than Jesus here. I don't want to do it when it's messy. You know, I don't want to do it when there's too many strings attached or I might get caught up in the spider web of this, this person who takes so much from me. You know, like that's... It's hard to serve when it's messy, and I would say serve when it's humbling, like when it literally makes you look less important and cool. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you should serve in those moments. I, uh, I heard this thing about pastors. I think, it should be, I think it should be true of most Christians. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. This just popped into my head, so take it for what it's, for what it's worth, but it was like uh, never be never be too small to do a job or too big to do a job something like that and the, and the point is like you know trust in the power of God no matter what the thing is he's calling you to do if it seems like it's too grand or too big be willing to follow Jesus in that but also never look at something and think that's just beneath me because nothing is beneath this right like nothing is beneath this and so Jesus is saying like serve even when it's it knocks you down a peg. Even when the outside world, the people that you want to impress, they're like, ew, how could you ever, you know? I mean, how could you do that? I would say serve when it's not fun. Like, I should have put that one first because I feel like modern American church, like, that would be a first step for people. Serve when it's just not that awesome to do it, you know? Like, when you're like, this is just, it's, you know, I don't like it that much. It's not that great. It's, it's not... It's not awesome, yeah. 
And then, and, and, and this goes with everything I've already said, but I would say serve when it costs you something. And, and I'm not sure we ever really, really do that. I'm, I, I think, I think, you know, me, and I'm in this we, I'm going to say we, we have lost some of the teaching of Jesus in this story because we far too often act like we are greater than Jesus and we are unwilling to serve. I think in the ways that he served, we are unwilling to serve in a way that follows his example of service primarily in this moment. But if you're a Christian, you know that it goes beyond this because he washes their feet, but then what's he going to do? Just in, you know, in less than 48 hours, he's going to, He's going to like take this to the next level when he's going to allow for himself to be arrested, allow for himself to be tried, allow for himself to be mocked, allow for himself to be beaten, allow for himself to be uh, whipped and scourged and beaten some more. And, and then he's going to allow for himself to have nails driven through his wrists and ankles. And, and he does it all in the same with the same heart and the same love for you and me and the same humility and the same grace and the same mercy. And so if it's demonstrated here in a way, I think we can better understand this because we don't know what it's like to die. We don't know what it's like to be tortured. But, but he, he demonstrates in a way we can understand in the real world, right? Because none of us will die for the sins of humanity, but all of us can get down on our hands and knees and serve people when it's dirty and gross and messy and disgusting and doesn't gain us anything, but instead costs us something. We can all do that. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, then I mean, we know, if we do follow Jesus, we know. We know that we are not as great as him. And if, if we're going to follow him and be like him and serve him, then we must be willing to serve others when we gain nothing from it. We must humble ourselves as Jesus humbled himself in the physical and sacrificial service of others. That's what we need to do. If we are going to be if we're going to follow Jesus more closely, then we are going to grow in our willingness to humbly and sacrificially and physically serve other people when we get nothing out of it. And so I would hope that all of us, you know, my hope for, for us is that we leave and, and this week and even moving forward, I think, I oh man, if I'm looking at my life, it seems like every week, God gives me an opportunity to wash somebody's feet. It's like that moment where this happens to me all the time because we don't live far from Safeway and, and there, more and more there's people who are panhandling right there on that corner. And every time, like, there, you know, we walk to that Safeway quite a bit, there's an opportunity, like, I could stop and have a conversation and buy those people a meal. There's an opportunity to wash somebody's feet right there, Right? And get off my, I mean, there's, and so this week, very practically, I would hope that you would look for an opportunity to wash somebody's feet. And when it comes, you would say, I am not greater than the Jesus I follow. And so I'm willing to serve this person sacrificially, humbly, because I follow Jesus. Let me pray that we'll do that. Lord, I ask that we would be a church that are your 
that is your hands and feet. The, the, the church is described that way, being the body of Christ. And in Christian circles, we often talk about how we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so often, as we say that, we're, we don't want to humbly serve anybody, God. We don't want to be anything like you in this regard. But I pray for this church that we, that we would, God, serve humbly and sacrificially and physically. And we would, we would serve when it's messy and when it costs us something and when it's not fun. And uh, we would serve, Lord. Let us be a church of, of service. And, and Lord, that is a corporate thing, but I'm well aware, Lord, that that starts with me people here with me, people watching online, our church, the individuals of our church looking for opportunities and moments where we can wash another person's feet. We can serve God, those whom you love and those whom you loved so much that you came to die for their sins. I pray in this congregation, it would start here that we would be so quick, Lord, when and then we have been, God, through the years, and I'm so thankful for that, but like when somebody needs help moving or whatever it might be, like well, let us continue to be, I'll say, a church where, where we have people step up and say, I'll do that, but let us look for opportunities as we walk through life, God, to, to serve like you served. Let us never think we're greater than you. Let us not act, even if we don't think it, even if we don't believe it, let us never act like we are greater than you. Jesus, because we are not. You are the word who became flesh. and We want to follow you. I pray we'd be like Peter, Jesus, uh, not in his understanding of your teachings and not in sometimes his pride, but in our desire to be connected to you and, and to serve you and uh, even when it costs us something, God. I pray, Lord, that as we move through this series, then that we would grow in, in our willingness and our ability to follow hard after you, uh, Jesus. I pray that, that we would grow in what we sang earlier, that God, our, the cry of our life would be to be consecrated unto thee, Lord. Let us want nothing more than to serve you with all that we are and all that we have. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.